Hi, I'm Michael Hartman. I'm Naomi Liu. And I'm Mike Rizzo. And this is OpsCast. A podcast for marketing ops pros. And RevOps pros. Created by the MoPros, the number one community for marketing operations professionals. Tune in to each episode as we chat with real professionals to help elevate you in your marketing operations career. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 18 of OpsCast, brought to you by the MoPros. I'm Michael Hartman, your host. I am joined today, as usual, by one of my co-hosts, Mike Rizzo. And uh, we are missing our other co-host, Naomi Liu. So first off, a uh, shout out to all those folks who made it to summer camp in Atlanta area last week. Um, sounds like it was lots of fun and lots of learnings there. If you are listening to this and it's still in July or early early August for 2021, you can still sign up for summer camp up in the Seattle area, which is August 4th through 6th. Go to www.themopros.com to get all the details. All right. So today we are excited to have with us Nick Zangre. VP of Customer Success and Revenue Operations at CaliberMind. CaliberMind is a customer data platform specializing in marketing analytics, ABM, and pipeline attribution. After 15 years leading marketing ops and award-winning consulting teams, he joined the CaliberMind co-founders and was running product to bring them to market the next generation of B2B marketing software. Nick, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Michael. It's an honor and a pleasure. Excellent. So we're looking forward to talking to you. I think uh, everyone in our audience is going to be keen to hear what your thoughts are about the marketing uh, marketing measurement, revenue measurement, attribution space. All right. So that said, some of our listeners may be new newer to our uh, analytics and marketing technology. And as a as a Martech veteran, how have you seen the ecosystem for this space sort of evolve over the years? Maybe especially in the last five years. So I feel like there's been a tremendous amount of change just in the last two to five years. Wow, you're telling me. Uh, well, to start, it's it's gotten harder to do what we do. You know, uh, starting out running marketing ops, it wasn't even called marketing ops when I started. I think it was e marketing, and you know hmm. every. Every system, every company, if you're if you were even at the cutting edge, you had maybe two or three tools max in your stack. You had a marketing automation at the time. It was mostly Eloqua was the leader. Uh, Salesforce as a CRM and then maybe a web, a web platform CMS. And you know, today, what was what was the last count at, at Scott Brinker's last uh, super graphic? Eight thousand marketing tech yeah. vendors these days. Yeah, so, and counting, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's a blessing. And counting, yeah. So it's, it's <laughs> a counting. blessing and a curse. I mean, there's a emerging skills gap as all those with all the explosion of vendors, um, but also opportunities to be uh, data superheroes. You know, and that's one of the large reasons I joined CaliberMind is with this explosion of data silos. You know, why not build a platform to help wrangle and make sense of all the data? So I think it's um, it's been really fulfilling to see the the ecosystem evolve over the years. And, and I, and I stuck with it, you know, a lot of my, my peers are CMOs now or running uh, agencies. And then I went to try to set out to build a product to do all this and, and scale it. So it's, it's been uh, a great journey. It's a hard one though, right? <laughs> Definitely. It's a hard, it's like, a hard sell. Like, Oh, you need, you need another tool, right? <laughs> you need one tool to keep all your other tools in check, you know, and, and, and uh, prove, prove what you're doing. You know, early days of being yeah. a marketer, you, 
you make a new logo as a as a head of marketing and you're a genius you know you roll out a new brand now yeah. you're you're really being asked to be a lot more accountable in the boardroom we gave you a million dollars how much did you get back from the investing in these tools and these campaigns and being able to prove ROIs is becoming really paramount and key to uh, keeping your job these days with all the turnover in marketing. Yeah. I, yeah, totally. Totally agree. And totally it's agree funny that, that you bring it's, up. It's just term- a critical component of like staying in the space. Yeah. You bring up the term e-marketing and it's one that I've had in my titles before too. So I remember those days. I even. I, <laughs> right, I, we're dating ourselves a little bit. I, I even remember it for those who are don't know this is it, the UTM codes that we were all familiar with for URLs. The, I know what the U stands for because mm-hmm. it was the predecessor to Google Analytics Urchin, right? So long time ago. The Urchin, right? Yeah. Urchin. Urchin. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Remnant. so, yeah. <laughs> so Nick, uh, so, you know, based on your history, both personally and now with clients, customers of, of Calvermind, you know, when you think about, um, like if you were to talk to one of our listeners who's in a marketing ops role, who's being asked to be this data hero, right? Um, yeah. How would you kind of guide them to start thinking about how to structure even approaching reporting and analytics for, for marketing in general, maybe full revenue sort of life cycle? Yeah, it's 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 a loaded question because there's so many places to start, uh, and it, it, oftentimes you come into a situation where your predecessors have built something and that you're trying to rebuild, and there's a lot of change management involved. So, first of all, I'd I'd try to gauge where the organization is from a maturity standpoint. If it's, you know, a uh, call it a laggard or an early adopter of some, maybe you just implemented your first marketing automation platform. You might not be ready for advanced features like machine learning uh, or, you know, algorithmic attribution, things like that. So I would say that the best advice is to gauge, gauge where you're at, gauge where your organization's at, um, and get started. You really want your goal is to ultimately build a, a data-driven culture across the organization. And whether you're start with something as simple as A-B testing and just... Every week, you know, you're A-B testing your landing page and show, and then in every marketing meeting going through the results um, or something more sophisticated like pipeline attribution. Um, but yeah, get started based on, based on where and then where your company is in the maturity spectrum. You might tackle different metrics and different systems. Uh, but yeah, I think the main advice is get started, don't wait. I Too often I hear... Uh, we're, uh, we're just not ready for reporting or attribution or, um, ABM. And I think that's the wrong answer that it should be We're our data isn't ready. So let's, let's fix it in parallel while we're defining our KPIs and aligning on what we want to measure. So I, I think that where there's a will, there's a way and you just gotta, you just gotta get started. Yeah, that makes a bunch of sense to me. I, I, there's been a lot of talk to just on, you know, like in, it, whether it's in the community um, or on LinkedIn and what have you, where, you know, are, are we, 
are we kind of like data ops people first, or are we just mm. operational people that interact with um, different integrations and tools that touch data? It, you know, and, and it's like kind of, I think it's, it's tomato, tomato in some ways, but like, I appreciate the conversations that are going on to kind of echo what you're saying where, right. you know, as an organization, if you're thinking about data in the right way, it can lead you to, uh, better leveraging that information to enable new programs, right? And and I think tools like CaliberMind and 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 I mean just your marketing automation platforms and all of that are giving us a, access to a plethora of information. Right. But you have to be willing to like, I mean, it shouldn't scare you away from you know taking steps in the direction of new campaign efforts like ABM or anything like no, that. No, and I, I would add that the tail can't wag the dog. It can't it shouldn't be because your boss wants you to have a certain metric and report on it. That that's the only thing you should be reporting on. You know, I, I've seen too many organizations where maybe the CMO is obsessed with MQLs, but the mm-hmm. whole rest of the marketing organization wants to move to a more of an account-based funnel. Uh, and then, so you just have, you're just beating the MQL drum. And at the same time, the team gets fragmented and alienated so there has to be alignment top down, bottom up, and then cross-functionally, maybe between sales and marketing ops, between customer ops, uh, across the whole life cycle. Yeah. And that's a theme we we hear repeatedly uh, across the board, right? The alignment cross-functionally and something mm-hmm. obviously I'm championing really hard with, with what we're doing yeah. in MoPros. And I like what you said about ops, you know, are we data I guess managers is that even in our charter? I, I think ten years ago it wasn't. And you know, ten years ago you had marketing ops was sending email campaigns at nurtures, and that's all they were doing. And now the same team, because of their technical acumen and their abilities and their familiarity with the data, they're also beginning to get chartered with reporting. And so it's getting some ops folks out of their comfort zone, but also, like I said, opening opportunities to really have um, great conversations with the CFOs and the CROs and, and your management team. If you're able to, to show and prove out, you know, marketing effectiveness with data, that really goes a long way in your career, I think. And so, I would, you know, I think there might be some, some topics later we cover on career development and how to get into data, but I would definitely encourage it. Don't, don't just stick to, you know, sending campaigns out of Marketo all day. Think, think <laughs> yeah. bigger. Yeah. Hey, man. There's more to do than yeah, that. I, I, <laughs> so I've much. been I've been getting yeah. on the stump that that you know if I was to be building a new team, it may not be the first hire, but someone who really gets uh, marketing specific kind of analytics that context because it's an it's different than finance or you know other types of analytics or data science and getting that because it's become. I, I do think it's become an expectation that the marketing ops team will be the, not just the data capturers and the ones who use it to do segmentation, but the ones who are provide mm-hmm. you know, understanding what the, um, what the value of marketing has been, what our taxes have been, how we're impacting or not impacting things, our campaigns right. working. All those are good questions. And I think we've done a, not, and we collectively as marketers and as ops people have not done a great job of taking advantage of all these technology platforms are generating tons and tons of data, right. To inform what we're doing better. I think it's, I think right. I, st- I think it's still a yeah. unusual case when that's happening more 
Um, so I'm with you on that. I would, I, I, I'm a big believer that that's an important piece. I also am a big believer that, um, yeah, I like you, like, I think the time to start reporting is now, not when our data is perfect. Cause I have not been to any place that doesn't say, Oh, my Salesforce, our Salesforce <laughs> is just crap. Right. Or our Marketo instance or our whatever, right. like is, so I, I think the sooner you can start reporting on this stuff, the better because what it does is it usually figure it helps identify when you see those issues, you shouldn't go, Oh, well, that's bad. You should figure out why is it bad? Cause it usually starts upstream somewhere, right? Where there's like you and I, Nick, were talking right before this, right? Uh, I'm going to be, you know, going to work at a registration desk at an event here in a few weeks, partially because I want to see how, what mm. are the issues with data capture on the front end for people who've registered and then actually attended the event that are going to flow eventually into our systems. So, you know, what kind of, do, do you, does that sound right to you? Are, are there other things that you think are important that will come out of doing that early kind of reporting that you start sooner rather than later? Yeah. I mean, you should also be uncovering processes that could be improved to enable future reporting and better reporting. Maybe you don't have your website forms integrated with your web, uh, web tracking script. If that doesn't exist, you're going to lose those UTMs and uh, all the, the rich web history. Same with the uh, event example you mentioned. Maybe you have a way to import uh, event registrants in, in a batch process into your CRM, but then you might want to treat booth visits differently than people that don't show up or that come to the party. All of those might ultimately be different quality of engagement uh, and, and lead to different types of, uh, I don't know, waiting if you're, if you're trying to model it more programmatically. So I think, I think there's getting the, the, the processes right. Then there's also thinking through your hierarchies of data. So you have uh, a, a, a often thing overlooked is that when I get engaged with a new customer, is they have a campaigns, but it's a very flat structure. There's no, not a lot of thought often into how do I want to roll this up at a more executive level? So what are our parent campaigns and, and programs and initiatives? How do I want to organize my campaigns in line with the business so that the CEO knows maybe you're pushing three big products and then how do my campaigns roll up to those products so that if I want to present that report to my CEO, instead of showing them a list of a hundred campaigns, I might just show them three buckets. And how did we do against each of these product initiatives? And, and thinking through that strategically and having those dialogues with the, some of the executive leadership as, as well as the product team at your organization, I think it goes a long way. Hey everyone, it's Mike Rizzo here, and I'm interrupting your episode to bring you a brief message about, you might have guessed it, Mopsapalooza 2024, our second annual conference held in the vibrant city of Anaheim, California. We're hosting this hybrid event from the 5th of November through the 8th, and we would love for you to join us in person in Anaheim, but if you can't, please join us via live stream, courtesy of our sponsor, Excelivets. We're excited to offer an opportunity for professionals just like you to connect learn and grow among the best in the industry 
Our event promises to be a highlight of the year, offering invaluable professional development experiences, live workshops, and of course, networking with your peers. Don't miss out on this incredible gathering right next to Disneyland in Southern California. Tickets are going fast. We will cap registration at 700 attendees. Secure your pass by visiting marketingops.com today. And we're looking forward to welcoming you to what is guaranteed to be an unforgettable event. It might just be the best event you've ever attended. But don't take my word for it. You can ask the community at any time. We'll see you there. Yeah, I, I, I like that idea of a hierarchy of, of what you described is a little different than what I was thinking. I kind of tell people, I think of it as like there's four, four levels of reporting. What is you know, sort of system health, um, which doesn't probably go outside of marketing ops. Mm-hmm. Then there's sort of marketing campaign tactic level, which I think th- that's where there's a tie into what you were talking about. And then once you get beyond that, where you're going outside of marketing, it needs to be a lot more focused on uh, the storytelling behind the data. Right. What is the data telling us? You know, whether that's mm-hmm. at, you know, the, the full mm-hmm. revenue team or the CEO board level. Um so you know, one of the other challenges I've I know I've experienced personally and probably others have is that there's uh it's part of what attracted me to marketing data and analytics in the first place when I shifted my career, is that there's a lack of understanding about how to interpret and understand just the messy marketing data that we've got. Uh, and that's, I think that's especially true in the B2B world where you've got lots of different players in the middle of the processes that affect it, but there's, there's still a la- less, there's been historically less emphasis on staffing for like data analytics reporting. So do you have any kind mm-hmm. of guidelines or suggestions for uh, how we should be thinking about staffing to support that? Right. Um, whether that's, you know, cross-functional teams, steering committees, you know, hiring more people, like what would you propose there? Right. And so, you know, a big trend and, and Mike and Michael, I'm sure you've heard RevOps thrown around a ton in the communities. Never. Uh, What's, that? Everywhere. <laughs> What's that? So, I mean, I'll, I'll just tell you a story is, uh, you know, it's that one organization and we were in marketing, I was running marketing ops and, what was happening was that uh, a few a few challenges with um, alignment between the various teams. One is the metrics we were reporting on were very call them self-serving. Maybe would serve a certain team or uh, our lead generation team or our growth team versus um, pipeline, etc. And then also buying tools, we would buy a tool and then sales ops would go buy a similar tool from a different vendor. So there's a lot of waste. And finally, you have this um, challenge cross-training individuals. You know, uh, maybe some folks on the marketing team should uh, wanted to get their Salesforce administrator license or uh, certification. Once you get that, you know, maybe you should get the keys to the castle and be able to create a new field in Salesforce and help clean up the data. So what, what what I think RevOps is doing is it's it's becoming kind of a Switzerland that's helping align marketing, sales ops, and customer ops all around common, common objectives. And data cleanup and messiness is, is uh, you know, at every organization, as you mentioned. So, you know, tackling things like duplication rate, is my data stale? 
Are there obsolete records in there? Is, are, is there white space? Do we need an enrichment vendor? Are our leads converting efficiently to contacts uh, in our processes? Um, you know, so I will say the, the organization structure plays a, a big part because I've seen organizations where it's very siloed and there's a, a, a wall between the, the teams and that makes uh, data integrity projects especially difficult because your one team is trying to drive, uh, tell the other team how, how to do their job or you know, marketing ops is calling sales ops is baby ugly. And you never want to do that if possible. You want to, you want to instead say, you know, what's ugly is duplicate accounts in our CRM. Right. You know, it's, it's burning productivity. It's making, it's, it's hurting trust in our reporting. So let's, whether it's a committee, whether it's a reorg, whether it's um, a data governance team that uh, I've even seen it sit out of ops completely, like in a center of excellence that owns all the integrity. So yeah, so, something that's aligned that, and the, the team has to be empowered to make the make the change. You know, it it can't be a marketing ops team that wants to deduplicate your your database, and then a sales ops team that won't let you touch the data. It has to it mm-hmm. has to be two sides of the coin because you're all working towards a, a common goal. But yeah, yeah, I think I think that the politics is what gets in the way most often. And then it's then it's the how. Do we hire a consultant? Do we buy a tool like, you know, Calvermine or Ringlead that, that can also dedupe uh, records? Uh, where do we start? You know, um, there's a lot of ways to mm-hmm. skin the cat, but you have to get in there and, and make some some joint decisions. And then you need the blessing of the leadership that this is important. Okay, if we're going to spend all this money and time uh, cleaning up our database, why? And what what are the metrics it's going to drive? Well. It's every sales rep might be able to make 10% more calls every day because they can, they're able to find the data uh, easily. You know, reporting will be more trustworthy. Um, customers won't get, will no longer get um, prospect communication because my segmentation is bad. So there's, if you can drive tied you won't to... get sued. Oh yeah, won't because... get sued. Yeah. Oh, you won't that. get sued because they asked to unsubscribe, but it wasn't connected <laughs> to the right places. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All that, all that's possible if it's not, um, you know, clean and organized. So, yeah, if you could tie yeah. to some KPIs and also get the change management going in the organization to 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 really make it part of the culture, as I was saying, um, that's that's critical for success of cleaning up your messy data. I would totally agree with all of what you said. And, and I think I was I was wondering if you were going to touch on how does leadership buy into this concept? Because it just sounds like a, it sounds like a, a non-revenue driving mm-hmm, mm-hmm. job responsibility. But the reality is, is that like your your business can take a serious dive and like become a dumpster fire <laughs> if like you don't have, you know, the right process in place to manage the, right. the integrity of your data and right. having teams in place to be stewards of data excellence um, across the board, I think is just tremendous. And whether that's like, like you said, like just a quarterly meeting even, mm-hmm. or once a month, like if you're all in your own silo, marketing sales, customer success ops to kind of go back to this idea of rev ops as an umbrella to bring all those together 
take it upon yourselves. Just get together and like figure out like what's going on in the databases and how can we work together to, to you know, maybe it's just a meeting once a month right. and it starts off and, that and then, before and then there's the a meeting, reorg. If the meeting can be supported by a weekly report that's sent out and automated of our duplicates, our orphan leads, mm-hmm. um, you know, and some of the some of the the key data health metrics. I think that that goes a long way to then when you're in the meetings, you have something to talk about. Yeah, like what's going on? Yeah. yeah, like let's let's peek behind like the curtain. What's going on here? And let's talk about it. And then let's strive towards like making progress to improve upon everything. Exactly. That that gets right yeah, at the heart of what we were talking about earlier about the you know the reporting can uncover process issues or system issues, right? Like leads that didn't flow through and things like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Um, you you touched on Nick the two things I think are critical too. I think trust, both trust in the data and trust in our, you know, counterparts and other parts of the organization. Um, and I think that's especially mm-hmm, true with mm-hmm. things like attribution reporting. I, you know, I, I often tell, say that, you know, marketing attribution was supposed to help marketers tell the story about their, the, you know, the, the return on investment, the ROI of marketing dollar spend. Um, but we've done a poor job of actually telling the story in a way that makes sense. And I Part of it is because nobody believes it right now, especially when it gets to like a complex long sales cycle, large deal value B2B sale, right? That there's nobody trusts that, you know, marketing right. saying, oh, marketing's the one who, who got this. So, you know, um, yeah. How do you, in, in kind of, as you think about this, how do you address the, some of the challenges when it comes to that trust issue, driving alignment, as well as, um, yeah. How much weight do you put on marketing touches versus sales touches or it like, does it like, wh- wh- mm-hmm. how do you kind of decide on those as an organization? Yeah. I love that you mentioned sales and marketing in the same sentence there. Um, uh, but I don't know if it should always be versus, you know, and I think that that helps drive some of the mistrust or us versus them or, Share, I, I don't like the word attribution credit because I, I feel like that could be a dirty word. Uh, you know, I, I had one enterprise customer when they had just started implementing uh, attribution, you know, something like one one email click ended up being worth a billion dollars because they, they had it wow. fully mapped out all the touch points across across the organization. And then that's that's a, a crossroads in the implementation and the trust, uh, you know, do we buy that? Do we, do we really believe that? Or why is it saying that? And what's it saying directionally? So um, to culture eats strategy for breakfast, that that's how that's, I I live by that mantra and building the data-driven culture, uh, like I said earlier is important, but also setting expectations on what something like attribution is actually doing. It's not designed to be a marketing versus sales tool. It's designed to show directionality and give you ideas where to place your bets. And the most successful organizations I've seen adopt attribution solutions actually treat sales touches the same way as marketing touches, meaning that if you have an, a good attribution model, you're able to tell the whole story of the opportunity. Well, they went into this outreach cadence, 
And then they clicked on a banner ad uh, through this content syndication partner. Then they came through organic and they downloaded this, you know, white paper. And then they did a drift chat bot. And then they had four more sales conversations, all which get some type of share of the influence. Um, and then the deal closed. So one trick I see often um, for early adopters of attribution where you're, you know, a, a company is not quite ready to sell attribution within the organization. Maybe their CEO is asking for a single touch model. Every opportunity is either generated by marketing or sales. That, that's what I, I hear often from us, from CEOs. And a step in the right direction is, okay, what if we break it into um, four buckets instead of two? You have marketing only sourced, marketing then sales sourced, sales then marketing sourced, and then sales only sourced. And so that's kind of a step towards multi-touch, but at least you're saying you're painting, you're building the culture that it's a team effort selling and you know csdr is rolling up to marketing now and, and a cadence in sales loft should be treated like a nurture series in marketo from my eyes and then oh once my you, gosh yes you know once you once you could level the playing field and say a touch is a touch then you're then you're you're starting to think more like switzerland and you're saying all right what what actually happened to this opportunity how did we actually close it as a team instead of this email click is worth a billion dollars. We should do more of that. It's more, you know, it's more like let's get all the touches mapped so that the data, the story is more and the narrative is more explainable and more, you know, easier pill to swallow. And then you could move from that maybe um, four touch or, I don't know, four bucket model. You from a two bucket model to a four bucket model, then to a multi-touch basic model, and then eventually a machine learning model, which we're seeing maybe our top, I don't know, 15% of customers doing machine learning attribution. That's fascinating. There's so much going on in the world of like machine learning and, mm -hmm. and the way that it's going to impact the future of reporting on, you know, business performance too. Like, That's awesome. Um, but the inputs need to uh, like dictate the outputs, right? Like what we've, what, it, what came of the conversation at last week's Atlanta uh, summer camp event, why marketers should pay attention to AI um, and led by the marketing AI Institute, which for those of you that haven't heard of them, is actually really cool. Um, the, uh, the conversation was about, you know, data inputs dictate outputs for the machines to understand how to best, you know, attribute, the future acquisition of uh, where, you know, where you should spend your dollars. Right. Mm. And my biggest fear, as I was talking to this group last week, my biggest fear was like someone somewhere is going to say like some leader somewhere, you know, it's just going to blindly throw out the request like, Hey, I heard AI can like help us solve the attribution problem and just like mm. go buy a tool and then just trust it. Right. But like kind of going back to where the, the conversation started around just data hygiene and being stewards of good data practice, like, yes, it can help you figure <laughs> out <laughs> like right. where attribution right. should be pointed to or given credit or it's all of the multi-touch scenarios. But like, if you don't give it the right, 
right, information, right. it's it's going to be the billion dollar email campaign again. Right? It's it's. I've heard it's I've heard data scientists refer to that as expert labeling, which which I think makes a lot of sense if you think about it. You know, you you have an AI that can tell cat or hot dog, but someone had to say these are hot dogs and these are cats, right? You know, and so same thing with marketing. We you know I had one customer. We were implementing uh, machine learning attribution for them, and they're saying, you know, th- this looks a little off. I would expect this person, this persona in the deal, to get more credit or more. You know, I, I hate that word, but more like um, more of the allocation uh, of the pie. And so, what we did was we we went in and we labeled that persona in the system. And then we reran the models and the models said, you know, when this persona is in the deal, it's actually three times more likely to close the deal. But the AI didn't know to look for the, that type of persona at, at first. We had to inform it and expertly label the data so that the AI is spitting out something that's believable and trustworthy. So I think that's a great, great point, you know, on the on the labeling of the data and the cleansiness. It's garbage in, garbage out. Not to sound cliche, but that's how AI works as well. So, yeah, great yeah, point. It's, it's yeah, it's definitely not a just like marketing automation. You, you know, when it first came into the world, it wasn't a magic flip of a switch and things just worked, uh, despite all the salespeople telling us that it would do that for us. <laughs> um, it takes input, right? It takes people to ask the right questions, uh, and yeah. so you know, for what it's worth, like. Just be thinking about that the next time. So uh, those listeners out there, if someone says, hey, let's go get an AI solution to tell us what to do next, like, don't forget, you better have the right inputs. (laughs) Well, it could be, I mean, it doesn't even have to be AI. It could just be a visualization tool, right? And like the the visualization tool is only going to be as good as the data. And this is one of the things I tell people, right? Ultimately, that data starts, whether you have AI or marketing automation or other tech in the middle, right? It starts with somebody somewhere entering something. And if you're not disciplined about how that happens and the process flow and the data flow from there, then it's not going to really matter a whole lot um, until you really address that, that part of it. Um, so, you know, we, we were just talk, touching on something though, but I, I think this is a key one, right? The, that AI is hot right now or machine learning, right? And that the assumption mm-hmm. is that the, those technologies can, uh, do stuff that a human being can't do. Uh, but you just made the point, right, that even that tool required some human input that you needed a person. So I, like, I'm like i a strong believer, I have a real strong opinion that you know, the best reporting and analytics is really somewhat of an effort thing, right? It requires people who are smart and know how to interpret this stuff to get in the middle of it um, to really get the insights. Yeah, how, how have you seen folks... Uh, you know, fight for, get the resources to do that deeper level of analysis rather than, you know, investing in more tech or higher end tech, if, you know, just because it sounds like it will solve the problem without human intervention. Yeah. And, and without asking this question, you also ask the build versus buy question in in there as well without knowing it. Because a lot of time the, Absolutely. the team you have, you know, informs the tools. If you have Someone that built an email solution in the past, maybe you're not going to rush to buy an email solution, uh, for example. That may be a bad example. But I think the same thing with something attribution or you're building a data lake. uh, And should I buy an attribution vendor 
uh, to install in my data lake? Or should I just hire a bunch of data scientists and they're smart and they'll do it? Uh, so I, if I had to, first I'd start with the build versus buy question. What are you trying to achieve? What's your outcome? Is it end-to-end -end analytics for your whole company? Is it, you know, I want to solve, create a marketing data repository and start there. And that's my main goal. That's my end with the outcome of making data-driven decisions. Once you have your outcome in mind, then you could really make that do the vendor analysis, the build versus buy. So I would say probably when it comes to something like attribution and reporting, 80% um, of companies I, I strongly believe should buy it. The other 20% are, uh, you know, maybe 19% of them are laggards and they're, or their sales cycle is so simple and their product is so simple and they're not doing many marketing channels that they don't need a sophisticated solution. So you have that that bucket of laggards or that or where their business model isn't a, a miss, a not, a not a fit. And you have this 1%, the uh, Ubers of the world and the Lookers and the, you know, ThoughtSpot and Snowflake, where data is your, your job, your your company's DNA is building and, and data, uh, those companies probably shouldn't buy an attribution tool or a reporting tool. They should build it because that's what they do. I remember when I was first getting started at Calvermine, you know, we were a startup and I was, I was doing marketing, you know, sales, wearing all the hats. And I had a good buddy that was working at Uber at the time and their marketing ops team. So I went in, I got a meeting with Uber and I said, hey, you really check this out. You know, you could you could just build all your ports right in here and, and pull queries. And he's like, you know, dude, we to join the marketing ops team at Uber, you have to take a SQL course. And then we have 20 engineers that just build marketing reports all day and marketing capabilities. So I was just, yeah, I didn't have anything left to say at that point. So that they were in the 1%. But that's then, crazy. You know, just put it out there. It's like, crazy. Whoa. It's crazy. But it was I, I, really I, I, like, I'll bet was a places like call. Amazon would be the same too, right? It, exactly. They're they're in the one yeah. percent. Like you've built the infrastructure under the data warehouse, so of course you're going to build your own. But the eighty percent are somewhere in between. That maybe they they've purchased Snowflake and um, Tableau, and they have some reporting, and then they're at the crossroad. Do I need to hire a bunch of data scientists or do maybe I have one really good data scientist and build and buy a tool that will get them take all of the grunt work out of their job? You know, 70% of data science is wrangling the data. So if you if you have the right technology in place to enable that data scientist to not have to wrangle the data and normalize it and standardize it and label it then you could get a lot more output from that hire and really set them free running. And in, instead of hiring three data scientists, all do two of them are going to have to do grunt work. Only one of them is going to be doing insights. For a fraction of the cost, you can buy a you know, vendor, a shameless plug, you know, but that does a lot of the wrangling and the normalization and the deduping and all that. That's been doing it for years. You don't want to have to reinvent the wheel if you can avoid it. And so that'd be my advice there is, you know, first of all, 
pick the outcome you want to build to, you want to you want to have uh, and then then decide the the staffing and the build versus buy comes out of that that's a, I, I like that model there that really it's not like build just build versus buy or do we add more people it's like those two go in combination and you might like thinking mm-hmm. about them holistically is the is the way to think about it is that and i think that's what you're saying right yeah i mean if if why why buy buy Marketo if no one is capable of doing using it? You you could get by with Mailchimp or something, right? If if all you have is is someone that could if you don't have the skills to drive the Ferrari, uh, you know, you're you're not gonna win on the racetrack, no matter how good your car is. Right. So you don't need a Ferrari if all you need is a, a Hyundai. <laughs> <laughs> then, then you just and and that's good enough for for many organizations. But if you want to get to that next level, you have to you have to think of it holistically. I need a really good driver for my car, and I'm going to need a good car, and then I'm going to need mechanics that are going to work on the car and to keep it running. Uh, that's yeah, a great. I really analogy. like that analogy. And like, I wrote a blog post years ago. I don't even remember now, but I, it was something about like, there's no autopilot in, in marketing automation. And it's the same thing, right? Like when you're making an investment into technology, um, your calculation on the ROI of, of said investment into technology solutions needs to also include the talent required to like manage that. Absolutely. Like it's a part of the, it's a part of the cost. Yeah. And and don't be, and don't be shy to, you know, shout out to all my consultant friends out there. And I I come from consulting back in the day and they, they serve a a really important need when you need it. And I think a lot of um, uh, marketing leadership is hesitant to spend the 150, 200 an hour, sometimes the, the high sticker price that comes with those resources. But the alternative is you're hiring a six figure employee uh, that and it's a big commitment when maybe you just need a few months of that resource and then you need a different resource. And so sometimes an agency can really help round out your team instead of hiring a web developer and a data scientist and a marketing ops pro that could run the marketing automation and an analyst. Sometimes you could hire for the same price of a full-time employee, you could end up getting all four of those resources uh, at a fraction yeah. in a fractional way. Right. Yeah. And at I the time really that makes sense play. too, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then it's low commitment. You know, if you need to get out, you can. Um, versus you might get one or two headcount for the year. It's very hard to hire. You, and you've seen those job descriptions that, you know, 10 years of marketing automation and SQL and Python and HTML and, mm. you know, and yeah. Salesforce certification. The, those unicorns are so rare that. Sometimes it's better to hire for acumen and ability, hire someone really sharp, and then bring some consultants in to take them under their wing for six months. Yeah. Then then they'll become that unicorn. Yeah, I agree. I think you know we're we're heading down a a, a dangerous path of uh, the job market, which is just crazy <laughs> That's a whole right now. Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but, but definitely like. You know, the, the, just to, I don't know, maybe put a bow on that, like, or open the can of worms a little further, who knows? Uh, the the problem is, is that, like, people want to hire for these roles because they don't understand it, right? And mm-hmm. so they just, like, want to hire the talent to just, like, sort of wash their hands of it and, like, have a partner in crime that, like, says, like, this is your world. Uh, and so, like, because think about hiring contractors, right? Like, 
if I don't know what I don't know, I have to then invest the time to go figure out who do I need, when do I need them and for how long and all, and like, what am I setting out to accomplish? And if I don't have that expertise as a leader, that's trying to hire that talent, right? That's the reason I'm trying to hire that talent is because they know what they need and all that other stuff. So it's just hard. It's like chicken and an egg. And if you just have leadership that isn't uh, educated yet on what is required to go fulfill on a vision, whatever that vision is, uh, sometimes the contracting game is really hard, but I totally agree. Like, right. Well, and, and just, and just really hiring, nice folks, hiring folks in general that are smarter than you in a certain area is always leaders need to be humble enough to do that. You know? Oh, totally. Totally agree with that. Yeah. So uh, kind of to wrap things up a little bit, you know, I, I was taking notes along the way and like, I have two words I wrote down that kind of were themes to me. And I, I would be curious, like what you, like I wrote down trust, right? Trust in the data, trust in each other mm-hmm. across the organization and then discipline around processes, you know, how we're mm-hmm. thinking, like what do these numbers mean? So that when we get together, we are talking about the same stuff. Um, this, like those, those two to me seem to be like the underlying, like if you don't have those kinds of things as part of your culture, <laughs> culture, Trump, what was it? Was it culture? Each, uh, <laughs> uh, culture, each strategy for breakfast. That's it. The, um, the Peter the Drucker, quote. Drucker, right. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it, they, so I think that culture piece, I, you know, I it, had, had a USB coming into this conversation and what I thought how important culture was, I probably would have said, yeah, it's important, but I think coming out of it, I'm like, yeah, it's really, really important, right. To have those kinds mm-hmm. of things as part of your culture to be successful. All right. So this has been awesome. Yeah. One last question for you, Nick, before we drop off that we're asking everybody, because part of the community that Mike started was to try to build, you know, not only places for people to collaborate and get to know each other and help each other out, but also to sort of set the groundwork for, you know, is there a way to learn? Because I think none of us who are in this space now really have went through any kind of formal process to become a, a, a marketing ops professional. So if there was such a thing as a certified marketing operations professional, like what would you say, like this absolutely has to be a part of it, like this, what kind of training or knowledge or experience? Yeah. The, I'm going to add an unpopular skill as the as SQL that I'm seeing more and more become useful to marketing operations. I, one of my customers, they have their marketing ops team goes on a retreat every year and they just, they just go on a training for two weeks and they were picking what asking, picking my brain, what should we learn this year? What should we do? You know, that in, in the past they've had, you know, so it's, it's always going to be some level of CRM certification or, and familiarity. That's a pretty cornerstone. Cornerstone. If you're if you're not able to talk to sales ops and, or your sales team and or build a, a workflow in Salesforce, for example, um, you're going to have trouble being an effective marketing ops professional, right? Then there's the marketing automation aspect. You don't have to know all the tools out there. Pick pick probably two. You know, Marketo and HubSpot, for example. You probably don't just want one because then if you would go to company with a different one you might be uh, and also gives you perspective how other tools do it uh and then there's the analytical piece which which i would argue is starting to become pretty critical into a successful marketing ops person um if i knew sql five years ago or 10 years ago i i would have been probably doubly as effective in my job because i would not have to had ask others for reports uh, and data queries and 
I wouldn't have to spend nights in Excel in front of the TV building, you know, preparing the, the data for the, the CMO meeting th the next day. All that, you know, I would have saved hours and hours of time writing a simple SQL query versus trying to do VLOOKUPs and, you know, list imports and big downloads of data and crashing my computer because it's running out of memory. Speaking my within language. The yeah. yeah, within the modern <laughs> right. stack, like that's a critical skill that I think is is missing and probably only maybe 10% or less of barking ops really are comfortable with that level of data access. But uh, as you said earlier, more and more marketing ops pros are now pulling in data in their chart in their charter, and they they are responsible for reporting more and more. And if you're able to, you know, if you have a data science team and you could send them a query, it's a lot more elegant of a way to talk and speak their language versus saying, "Well, you know, I'd th filter this this out and add this and oh, and this and or this." Um, I'm just, I'm blown away by the power it unlocks. It's almost like the matrix. You see, start to see everything in, in code, you know? <laughs> and I, I love that. I, so, so that's, yeah, that's, that's the missing piece, I think, for a lot of ops today. And I, I hope that more and more uh, operations professionals start to understand analytics because I think it's, it'll really serve them well in their careers. Totally. Yep. Great answers. All, yeah. all very relevant and timely. And we're hearing a lot of that from the community for sure. So. Yeah. Nice. I, I, Appreciate nice. you coming on, Nick. This has been really I awesome. enjoyed it. My, yeah. Michael and Mike, Rizzo and Hartman. <laughs> there we go. Times. Yeah. And, uh, and it, we got know, a lot of Michaels on this group. It's a small, <laughs> it's a small world. And so I know we'll, uh, we'll cross paths again soon. Yeah. So, so uh, Nick, thanks again for, for the insights. If, if folks want to keep up with you or Caliber Mind, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I mean, ha happy to connect with any folks on LinkedIn. I, I love helping out um, aspiring professionals trying to get into the industry. You know, we'll see folks from sales try to cross-train into marketing ops and uh, data coming in. So always, I'm, I'm an open book. Um, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. It's just Nick with, and I and I SEO'd my own name. I dropped the K, so it's just NIC. Go to the top of the result. to. <laughs> Years and years of standing in the back of the lunch line with the Zangri, and now I now I go to the top. So, yeah, feel free to to reach out calvermind.com if you want to check us out. More than happy to uh, schedule an informational session. Uh, we're not we're not uh, a, a super salesy organization. We're very consultative, so just happy to have a conversation about your data and your readiness for reporting. Fantastic. Well, this has been fantastic. For those of you listening, thank you again for uh, letting us be part of your your day to day routine. Um, stay tuned for future episodes by uh, subscribing and rating and reviewing our with whatever platform you normally listen to. With that, it's a wrap. Bye, everyone. Thanks so much, Bye, everybody.